Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we're here today to discuss the Unholy Consult chapters. Let me double check because I said it wrong last week. Uh, 14 through 16. And as usual, we're here with Daniel and Katarina. Katarina, would you give us an introduction, please? <laughs> we only have a couple more to go, so. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll finally learn how to do it um, by the time we get to the last one. Uh, hi, I'm Katarina. I'm Katarina. I can't even say my name right anymore. <laughs> um, this is not an upward trajectory, guys. Uh, hi, my name is Katarina, and I am reading The Unholy Consult and the Aspect Emperor series for the first time. And here with me is Steve, who's also a first time reader of the series. And below me is Daniel, who has read the series multiple times and has been our uh, guardian or and our guide throughout this uh, journey. Or, or maybe I've been the four-horned brother of deception, just trying to confuse you guys as much as I can. Could be that, too. Um, I have a feeling we're going to lean heavily on you today because there was large portions of this, these chapters that I was like, had I reread and reread and listened to it. And I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, just like lots of stuff. So, so yeah, we'll be needing your help today for sure. Well, let's see how that goes. <laughs> so, so I gotta say. I was a little bit annoyed with chapter 14 because we had been on the doorstep for so long, for like 200 pages, and the chapter's name go God of Wrath. I'm like, okay, we're actually going to get inside. And it spends like, I think more than half the chapter saying, oh, the great arc, the, and it's like, we know, let's get, let's go. So lots of anticipation. But was I the only one? Well, I, I think I already told you before the before we started recording that I'm going to be the the wet blanket today. Uh, this was I mean this was never going to be my favorite part of the book or the series. Um, I think I've made it pretty clear in the past that battle scenes are generally not my uh, not my thing. And I feel like it's become more of an issue with with the Aspect Emperor series, where it's it's like it's it's the battle scenes are. I feel like they're like much less about the characters, and it's like much more about like just more like describing the the sceneries and describing the layouts of the the fortresses and the, like the layout of the troops and. Then like a lot of characters get name dropped that we'd never even heard before, or maybe we had heard, but like it was like two books ago, and they were like mentioned once, and then they die, and I'm like, um, nice to meet you, bye. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't know if I, I guess I felt similar to you, Steve. I. Like, really, the reason I'm reading this book is I want to know what happens in the Golden Room. And it's been, like, 300 pages, and we're still 
like only at the doorstep of Golgaroth. Like we like and like maybe maybe in this chapter we like got to knock on the door, but we still not really gone through. What's the golden room? The inner sanctum of the unholy consult? Is that what it calls it? I have it written down here. That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, what I got confused with is that there, they, okay, so the arc and the area around it seems like there's like little, there's like other strongholds around it. And I, I kind of got lost with what all these other outposts and stuff were. Like, okay, pi like, pi picture the arc. What? picture the ship crashing into the ground and them coming out of the ark and then over oh, thousands, to look. thousands of years they kind of have built up structures around it just brick and mortar structures a couple towers and there's also i think it's called the occlusion which is like the upheaval of the ground around where the ship went in that like slope of like a semi-mountain. I was also confused, and then I remembered that... I, for once, I finally remembered to look at the map, and it did help a lot. But I still not did not really care that there were, like, three different fortresses. Or I think there's, like, two towers and one gate that they're assaulting. And then there's, like, like I guess, like, ramps or fortifications... That would be the Oblitus. And they're trying to get to the High Qual, Swall, which is the fortress at the Upright Horn that like guards the entrance to the Upright Horn, I think. That's that's really what I like get from the picture anyway. I've been so nervous to look at the back just because I know I'll read something I shouldn't. But yeah, I should have looked. I I don't think the maps are, are spoilery, really. Like no, no, they aren't. I think there might be some writing at the top left to some of them that might give spoilers depending on how far you've read, but not to us. Okay. Right. I mean, if I mean, if you look at the chapter titles, then. If they are considered spoilery, then maybe the map is also a bit spoilery. But if you figured, like, if you figured at the beginning that we were going to get to Golgotharoth and assault Golgotharoth, then I don't think the map really spoils anything. But yeah, just imagine the ship crashed into the ground and then them building up a semi-city around it. I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but I'm so tired of Shrank. I'm so tired of them. We've had Shrank like the whole Aspect Temporary series, and it's like more hordes and more hordes, and it's like, please let's let's get on with it. Maybe there's a point to all this, um, but you thought they were gone for a second. You thought the horde was destroyed. I thought it was over, and they there's like, there's like an endless stream of them everywhere. I'm with you, Steve. I don't think that the Shrank are the most interesting antagonists. Um, I 
I don't, I guess they're, I mean, it's kind of like the orcs in Lord of the Rings. Like they're basically, it's like cannon fodder. Like you're not really supposed to care when they die. Like it's, it's very like easy to, I mean, it's, I mean, they're not human, so you're not supposed to feel any empathy for them. Um, which I think like it, it kind of lowers the stakes for me. Like I thought I was thinking about it the other day and I felt, I feel like one of the things that makes the first Holy War maybe more interesting to me, like the battles in the, in the, uh, Prince of Nothing trilogy is, is the fact that you have, like you have two sides of the conflict, but like both of them are human and it's not, I mean, it's not entirely clear like which like who are the good guys. I mean, you kind of get that like neither of them is are really the good guys. Maybe some of them are more fanatic than others, but like it's still people like fighting against each other and and um, when they kill each other, it just I don't know. It just it made me. I feel like it made me care more when there's when you're fighting against like other humans, whereas if you if you're just fighting against like soulless creatures which don't really have like any agency but also they have like no compassion um it's i don't know it kind of takes the it it kind of takes the nuance out of it a little bit i think part of it too is i I don't really i didn't really mind like the they had to get through the shrank to get to Golgadareth. I, I get that. Like, I thought that was okay, but I feel like we should get, move on from shrank because the bash shrank are much more interesting to me than more shrank. At least they're something different. At least they seem more formidable. Like they seem like, oh, there's bash shrank or, you know, there's a fight on our hands. But with shrank, it's almost like you said, like cannon fodder. Like there's another horde and I wasn't even worried about the horde. It's like, it's fine. <laughs> Even There's when so wink, winked out of existence, <clears throat> the horde overcame them. Yeah, I mean they are they are dangerous, but there has to be large numbers of them to be dangerous. And it's it's just like it's almost like you level up, and you you start off with like the little crabs on the shore or whatever, and you move up to other like cooler creatures. Like as you get, and we're still on like we're still killing crabs on the seashore. It's like. That's... <laughs> Let's level up to something different. Let's get introduce new, like something else that'll like raise the stakes because more shrank. It's and the one thing I think when we see shrank is like, okay, we have more meat. This is the one thing I think. Okay, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna eat well. They're gonna have a good lunch. That's about it. Like, so it's just, most of them are thinking. Yeah. Kel is preparing his buffet. Uh, I, I, like maybe one thing that was interesting about the horde coming from the mountains and, and then Kellis fighting it, uh, it's, I mean, it kind of like retro- retroactively justified for me why Kellis was not more engaged in fighting the strength. Like I think we talked about it maybe a little bit in like it, when we read the the White Like Warrior, I think, but like why Kellis would just let everyone get massacred and not really help them since we know he's this like it's like the most powerful sorcerer on in the world and i mean so this scene kind of made it clear to me that even though he is very powerful there is still only that much that he can do against a body of 
well, people strength that is so big. And the Inkarai is <clears throat> was standing at the top playing Benjuka, right? Watching the Benjuka pieces move. And I think that was right before the Bashrag exploded out of the I forgot which gate it was, whichever gate crumbled or tower. Um, did you feel the same way in like the Lord of the Rings? The orcs in the Lord of the Rings? Kind of. I mean, but they they did they did have other types of creatures. Like they did have they did raise the stakes with other things. Okay. That's why I thought the Bashrag are neat, because it's like a nice break from all the shrink. It's like, give me something a little different. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want it to sound too negative. <laughs> there was even one of the Bashrag was named. I forgot forgot what his name was. He's dead now, anyways. But, uh, but we do so okay so there are some things um they do it does re refer to the ark as a void faring vessel and when they're trying to negotiate terms let me see if i can find the page on page um 280 i forget who tells Kellis that he's the vessel of the lord you're far far more than a and it's remember uh, oh, Kellis says that about himself. I'm sorry. I am but the vessel of the Lord. Mm, that's when he's like talking to the non-men when he first gets. Yeah. Right after they throw the, the shrank and it pops like a piece of rotten fruit. <laughs> when they try to, they throw a shrank off the ramparts and it like falls and pops. <laughs> that was interesting. Even the, even the non-men don't like the shrank. Yeah. Is is that right before the 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 human the night that they sent to that they sent to negotiate the the terms of surrender? Like he has this back and forth with the nonman, and and the nonman says, "You have wrecked me," and and the the guy is like, "I don't know what happened to your clothes." Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. There's a couple of good good moments there. Uh, but yeah, uh, and then Callus shows up, and they have a uh, fairly mysterious conversation. I think the the nonman says something in the sense, um, no, it's like Callus asks him, "Will you will you embrace your damnation?" And then the the nonman says. Can you mean such things, or do you speak this for them? And I was confused when I read this. What that is conversation is interesting, yeah. It was on page uh, two seventy nine. In my, in my edition, anyway. Yeah. Um, also. There's a. 
I have no idea what happened to your clothes. Um, there, also, he reference he mentions like he says something like, "Do you remember our interactions before? Or do you remember something?" And Kellis tells him that it's um, so if we can find it, but it is like it's a, that's not true. That's a lie. Not, you know, we haven't interacted before. Something to that effect. But there's a lot more here that there, it seems like it seemed like a loaded conversation that'll be important later. Right. Well, they seem to be implying that they've met each other before, which I don't know. Like, do we know that? Like, do we know if they've if they encountered each other at some point in the past? Because I I don't think so. Or at least I I'm not remembering anything. Well, on two seventy nine. He tells him, do you, do you recall me, man traitor? It says, you, yes, I remember. It says, do you repent your obscene inquiry? Will you embrace your damnation? So he kind of, sounds like he doesn't want it to be known that if they have interacted before then he doesn't want it to be known just yet. There's been times where... Just being an Anasarimber makes people think they remember, even though it's a different Anasarimber, right? The, like, blood is powerful, so they all kind of look the same. So you think that they're... It's just, like, it's just a resemblance between Kellis and and one of his predecessors. Maybe. Maybe Maybe. Kalmomas? And also, you were saying earlier, maybe he's just, the guy's referring to the army. Like, are you doing this for them? Maybe. I guess we can talk about it more after 100 pages. But if he was talking about the army, that would make sense, right? Because he's like making a big open display, just try to try to boost the morale of them, the guy thinks. He's wondering if he believes just like as Moingus kind of did. Have you gone mad? Do you really believe what you're saying? Well, I think it's been referenced before. And correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't they referenced in the past that um, that there's been an aspect to Emperor before or like a Kellis-like figure before? It's almost like this cycle. there's like a cycle that happens and we're in the night, we're in another cycle, so... Maybe he looks similar to someone else because we have two. We have Columbus with the C and Columbus with the K. So maybe it's like a cycle. Mimara, it's been mentioned that she she's referenced before. So I don't know what's going on. And and they call it the resumption, right? Mm-hmm. Which implies that they're just continuing something that's just has been ongoing. And Kellis said at some point that the consult would eventually win. So it's ongoing. It's forever ongoing. The nameless war. Well, but how, how cyclical it is, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, they just a few pages before that, they, uh, they refer to um, they refer to the first great ordeal, which was led by Kalmomas. Oh right. 
And it says something in this, basically that, um, I think that the, that Kelmum has attacked Golgotharad, but had to withdraw because I guess they were outnumbered or something. Um, so maybe they are referencing back to that moment. And I guess there is some resemblance between Kellis and the ancient Nesserimber, which might trigger some of the non-man's memory. I mean, it sounds like that sounds like a plausible theory to me, but I was confused by that conversation for sure. There's a lot to wrap up in like 96 pages. Isn't there? I need, I need to defend the excess use of shrink, I guess. Okay. I agree <laughs> that the shrink are... Oh, what's it called in Star Wars? Clones. They're basic, It's like Clone Wars, right? right? They are machines created by the Techni, which is technology. So... They really are just tools to be thrown uselessly. But in the thousands of years that man has been licking its wounds from the first apocalypse, they have just been breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding and had the great ordeal not killed as many of them as they did it it would have been an unwinnable war they might not even have needed the no god eventually eventually there would be so many shrink that they could just go kill all the humans hmm. and they also started thinning them out too right what was it called in the calling calling they collected scalps and then they killed the whole horde, and now there's even a, just a whole other horde that appeared out of somewhere. So given that they didn't do something about them now, it would have been, if the no-god comes back, his army would have been too big, probably, if that makes sense. But I agree, they are kind of a useless tool they do remind me like of the orcs of lord of the rings or the clones in star wars kind of just unthinking useless tools and the bashrags are just like bigger versions of them with cancerous ulcers everywhere what did they say say they're like they had hammers that had anvils at the end so they were big they were big yeah i i mean to be fair it's it's not just this series or it's it's not just lord of the rings i feel like if you watch any marvel or or dc movie these days probably where you'll end up at the end of the film it'll be like a big battle with like the heroes the story fighting is like huge army of nameless creatures that came out of nowhere um, that we don't know anything about that don't we don't care about they're just there to be destroyed by the heroes and like the only 
their only effect that they have on the audience is just to create this feel like like there's a like massive like amount of of just these bad guy creature things <laughs> that the peers need to kill in order to win and I guess part of my annoyance with it is just that I've seen it like so many times now nowadays that it's it I, I it's like it's so so much more interesting when if there is like a confrontation at the end of a film or a book it's it's like between characters that you have some connection to. We still have time. There's still time. There's still a couple characters you guys are connected to that are still alive, even. <clears throat> well, there's not many of them left. <laughs> well, there was something, and I, I'm not sure if I misread this. I just wanted to ask, ask uh, both of you about it. But speaking of characters that we are attached to that are still alive, on, on, the, on the top, on the, well, him too, but first, uh, on the top of page 309... Uh, it opens and closes now the eye, dilating with the arrival of her birthing pains, then squinting out their passage, and sometimes more rarely blinking and peering into the calm between like a napping dog, noting uh, unexpected arrival. Sorry. Uh, Vimera seizes the hand of the luminous angel that is her mother, screams, though her voice is little more than a rope, rigged on a beached wreck. She hears herself whimper, sob. She gazes into, into the angel's diamond eyes begging not for another tangible or intangible not even to make the agony stop just begging beseeching without hope or object so I read that as Esmanet isn't damned just like before when she barely glimpsed her with her eyes she was like glowing radiant white light yeah so I felt like that was confirmation like Esmanet is she's has meaning on a different level like this is all she's very i'll say special but so she's not she's not she's not uh she's not going to be in damned whatever damned means in this world but let me ask you guys a question then Esmnet it did a, a lot of like terrible things right how, how is she not damned damned whereas like Sarway's <laughs> damned any ideas? Survey got like the worst end of it because that is, yeah. I'm not sure why Survey is damned and Espinetta is it. Or maybe Survey's not damned. Kellis lied. Maybe he lied. I, I have no idea. It's a good question. But, I mean, if it was just the net, the net balance of things. I would say that She's a lot dead. more, a lot more, no, well, Esmond probably, <laughs> but I was going to say a lot more bad was done to Sir Wade than what she, I mean, she, she like, we know she did some things for Kellis that would be considered amoral, let's say. Um, Slept with a gamian, I guess, maybe would have been one of the worst things she did. Yeah, I mean, def I, definitely, like, manipulating a commie and seducing him would be one of them. There was, I think there was other stuff, but it's, it's, I mean, just 
But you, like when I think back to like all the all the suffering that she had to go through, like at uh, New York's hands, like come on. <laughs> I don't. I don't feel like she of all people would deserve to be damned, especially if Esmeralda isn't. Could I don't know. The only the only thing I could think of is that. Esmenet tried um, to make things better or to at least do good things. I don't know. Sorbet kind of went along with because she was helpless. I don't know. That, I, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me either. But just have Esmenet's anything chosen. to do with it? Yeah. He loves Esmenet, it seems like. I mean, they. They both kind of did Kellis's bidding, and Esmina did it for a lot longer, and I think it affected a lot more people. Like, she was the Empress. People died because she said that they would die, that they had to die. Uh, I don't know. It's... Yeah. I hope that's one of the things we get an answer to. <laughs> I guess <clears throat> I guess we'll see. She does seem to be the only saved person that Mimara has seen with her eye so far, except for herself. She also thinks she's pretty glowy. But if Esmnet's glowing and she did a Camion's bid or I mean she did Kellis's bidding then is Kellis glowing too? Hmm. Well Proyas did Kellis's bidding. Oh Proyas. She didn't glimpse him with the eye did she? No she did she didn't. Um, I, maybe the eye is biased. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe there is no justice. What did she say to, maybe the eye is blind, like the gods? Is mm. that what you're saying? I mean, sort of, maybe it's, maybe it's just like whoever my Mara wishes wasn't damned. Or like whoever my Mara has actually forgiven. She she does say to Esmeralda at some point that she forgives forgives her. Um, and Esmeralda says not what is, um, not yet. She, no, not yeah, yet. Not yet. I guess I guess I we'll know. see. Akamian's damned. She likes Akamian. I think she's forgiven him. But who knows? She never said it. Pro yes. What did <laughs> What did Mimara call herself? I think she says I'm what or she says Kellis pretends to be what she is. She is the prophetess, I think she called herself. Well, I think she she talks about like seeing with the eye of the 
god or something in that in that sense uh. i know he tells proteus that he pretends to be what i am when she's like looking at him I don't know. I mean, there, there's, there's the other moment where they're running, they're running through the, uh, what is it? They're, they're running across the furnace plain towards Golgadaroth, and Mymara sort of, I guess, like dissociates from her body, and it's like she kind of becomes one with the world, and she's looking at herself. I guess as the god would look at her. But I don't know. Maybe she's just delusional. Maybe there. Maybe there's no god of gods, and there's no one looking through her eyes. Maybe she's just, you know, a little haunted in the castle. I like that. I think when she found Estimnet, Estimnet like was using the judging like a passage from the judging eye that was written onto the wall she was using that as a blanket because remember that it's when she first saw her she had like ripped part of the umbilicus off and used used the part as a blanket that was the two pregnant kids inside of the lady who's the judging eye. Oh, was I remember there was a blanket. I don't remember what was depicted on it. I think it was uh Kel that was thinking that because Kel like remembered the story about the judging eye and he was like spying on him in the when they first met with each other that was up a couple chapters ago i think but this time i also noticed that SNS for some reason said mamara loved apples as a kid we've been talking about fruits a lot and that seemed pretty random the she loves the smell of apples I, I I remember in maybe it's the darkness that comes before. It's it's in the first trilogy. She has a memory of Mymara when Esmenet is, is has a memory of Mymara when they're in the market, and she I think it's I guess like Mymara is like she's like smelling apples or she's looking at apples and she's like begging Esmenet to buy her one and. She doesn't, I guess, because that was at the time of the plague. I think there was an apple in that scene. I think after she sells her, she like buys an apple and gives it to a random kid or, or something. It was a weird scene. And in this one, she's reflecting on when she sold my Mara. She's like, they had grease on their shirt. Their face was fat. I could tell they had food. <laughs> kind of sad yeah oh yeah 
Speaking of food, I'm like I'm always shocked. I always think they've eaten all the horses, and then from somewhere more horses horses show up. Um, because when they when they start the the siege of Golgotharoth, there's still some noblemen riding on horses. I was really surprised by that, and it was like a very irrelevant detail, but just the fact that they have not eaten all of them is. Shocking. Like, yeah. like you 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 ate Strang and you ate each other, but you still kept the horse. It's like the same when they crossed the desert, and I thought that they eaten all the horses, and the, and there were still horses around. A couple of the most privileged still have things. I'm surprised they all still have swords and shields. They, th they threw those away too a long time ago a lot of them yeah yeah it's kind of surprising they're not running around naked with sticks in their hands like the oh, men I think yeah because that's what they've been through it kind of seems like they what do they have left like, they've been through so much when the non-men showed up there some of them were naked some of them are in rags some of them are in like nice nibble hawbarks. I guess you live long enough, you just stop caring. <laughs> I mean, I think that's very true. Like, I used to care so much more about what I was wearing when I was a kid. I, I mean, if I could wear pajamas in, in at work, I would do it. 100%. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll find a non-man that has bunny slippers on at some point. It's got to happen in the next hundred pages. Bunny slippers, non man. If there's any left, <clears throat> we'll see. Yeah, it did look like they took most of them out with the with the Corey. Then it said the last couple ones were just too crazy, and they just stayed and fought till they got overtaken. Too erratic. We talked about them. Like not not even knowing if they were fighting in this battle or if they were just fighting old memories. <laughs> yeah, the the end of the non men is just it's it's just sad. I I mean I feel like I feel I wish we had gotten more time with them, but even the little we got, it's just really sad to watch them lose themselves. Yeah, I agree. It is a little sad. Uh, Moingus finally, finally gets rid of Proyas. Is it? Is it finally? I'm it's, like that's what I saw the last two times. Because <laughs> he does. Um, I think he's dead. He won't let him burn when they're burning down the camp. So he kills him before he can burn. But this has been stretched out a long time. <laughs> I, I mean, that's another thing that's like starting to bother me. I, I feel like the amount of like fake out deaths 
death deaths have has been like gradually increasing. Like it's not just Perez, it's also like when Sir Sirwa gets shot. Uh, you don't know, like, it kind of looks like she's dead, but then she shows up again at the end and she serves Akami and she saves Akami and, and, and Maimura. Um, and I mean, it's like Proyas has literally died at least three times now. Like, how, how, how am I supposed to believe that it's for real now? Let me see. I forget what exactly it says, but it sounds like it's confirmation. At least, but in this world, who knows? Yeah. Also, I will so, I will say like the last two times I thought he was dead. That that what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, well, uh, when you I speak five I, languages, you you don't have anything to do. No, I don't know. I I've been on antibiotics for a week now, so maybe that's it. Um, oh, I, I'll just think that that's it. I'm not just going totally. Senile. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah, the last two times I thought he was dead, I thought were way more poetic than the last time, than this time where it seems like he actually is finally gone. Um, and I don't know if, like, I don't know if, like, what the reason behind it was to keep him here for so long. Like, I, I kind of get that I mean, like he gets to. It's like different people get to say goodbye to him, right? Like it's like a like. First it's like uh, first it's um, Callus, who like you know he uh, he he basically pulled pulls him up, him up from the uh, from the uh, from the fortress. Like just to basically kind of say goodbye to him, and then it's Kamian again, like who cuts him off, and then finally it's it's Nayor, I guess. Um, so I don't know if like that is like it's intentionally like repetitive to make sure like each of these characters gets their own goodbye with Proyas, but it's it's getting ridiculous, honestly. Well, I, I went back and reread the section, and now I'm not so sure. <laughs> so on 319, okay, so he says, I will not let you burn. The skeptic king of Conria suffocates, light and image dissolves, his lungs cramp, a burning flashes from his bones, his flailing astonishes him, for he had counted his body dead. But then the animal within ceases battling, never quite abandons hope, faith. No soul is so frantic as the darkness that comes before. This is the lesson we each take to our grave and to hell. So, is he dead or is he, because it sounds like the animal within never ceases battling, never quite abandons hope, faith. So is he dead? I don't know. Or is I don't know anything uh, anymore. I didn't know anything at the beginning. I know even less now. I don't know. <laughs> I think the way I read it, it's the way he describes his last moments, the way Baker describes his last moments. It sounded more like he's like describing us like these, basically the survival instinct that like 
regardless whether you feel like you want to like you're ready to go there is still like the the animal inside of you that wants to live and so like with every last bit of strength you have you will scramble for life that's kind of what i that's kind of what i thought he was describing there um but i mean is he actually dead i it does seem to me like he should be but is he actually i had no idea I've been tricked too many times. And I think Katerina's right what it's describing, like mm -hmm. the convulsions he's having, like the spasms are like bursts of movement that he didn't think he could do before until like his body screamed, like the reptilian brain kicked in, just trying to fight for the last breath. And that's him just thinking about that before he maybe dies, but death didn't come swirling down. It did um, actually several times in these chapters. <laughs> not, not for Proyas, though. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Um, there was a there was also a. I don't know if I mean I don't know if sad or funny is the better way to describe it. Uh, but there was a moment between Akamian and Proyas where he's lying on the ground and Akamian's sort of like kneeling over him and Proyas, Proyas basically telling Akamian that he was right all the, all along about Kellis and Akamian responds with, but no, I was wrong. Kellis is true. Like he's the true prophet. And it's, I, it was just, it was just kind of funny too. It's like yeah. they both change their minds about Kellis to end up at like the opposite points of the argument again. They waffle a lot, don't they? They've gone back and forth so many times. Same as we, I guess. True. True. <laughs> I feel attacked, Katarina. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was including myself in that. No, I'm, I'm kidding because you're totally right. I just didn't think of it that way. You guys are both sore will. Yeah, pretty just much. Flip-flopping back and forth, complaining that sore will's flip-flopping back and forth. But yeah. I like that about sore will. I'll, yeah. I'll just put that into into the record. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Uh is the thing called Surway dead? I read it that she was dead. It, was it dead. looked pretty dead okay. to me. All right. I think he jammed his thumbs as deep into her throat as he could and parted her face. Her face unraveled. And all of his Sylvandi brothers liked it a lot. But it said right before that that Moing is didn't know he was about to kill his father. Very confusing. Why did he say that? He, I mean, he did not kill it. Like at, at least at where we at, Nayor is not dead, right? Oh, okay. So this is, this is true. So Maybe. was, so who impregnated Surway? 
Nair. Was it a skin spy? I don't think that that's how skin spies reproduce. I don't know. Maybe. But I, I think it's been established that Moengus's father, that Nayor is Moengus's father. Like, biological father, at least. They did. It did say that Sarsalis killed Saraway. Did you guys catch that? How did Saraway yes. die? Do you guys remember? <clears throat> On the uh, uh... circumflex, right? So did she die on the circumfix, or did did Sarsalis kill her? Did didn't he slit her throat? I, I did. I don't remember if it was him, but someone slit her throat. On, on like on the surf, I don't know if right before or when they were tied to the circumfix, but I'm pretty sure her throat got sliced. Not slight slit. Oh my god. <laughs> it probably would have had to have been before because she didn't live she the whole time. She didn't come off of the circumfix alive, did she? I didn't think so. I thought it was like amazing that Kellis could have did it. Cause it was I forgot how many days it was. But well, we now know that he has like super super strength and basically like superior biology compared to other humans. So, I, I, like considering how much or what we've learned about the Dunin, it seems more plausible to me now than it did when I've only read the first trilogy. Even the catching arrows. Holding narrow over a cliff edge. I mean, the, the the arrows. I still think it's just for show. Um, Sirway caught arrows too, didn't she? I feel like she did. Probably. But she's also like very bendy, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just for for whatever reason, it irritates me when Kellis does it. It doesn't irritate <laughs> me when when the skin spies do it. There's videos of just normal humans catching arrows on YouTube. If you just practice, you can catch an arrow. I think. I guess. I'll show you guys. I'll send you a link. I was pretty into arrow shooting for a while. That guy Lars, Lars, I can't remember what his last name, but he can like bend arrows, make them go around corners. Wow. He can shoot like three arrows in one jump. Wow. That's crazy. Is he, he a makes, skin spy? Maybe. Hey. He makes really weird videos. He shoots like... Who are the really famous horseback riders? Um, the Mong Mongols, I think. Oh, the, the Mongols? Yeah, yeah Genghis Khan era. They were really good at shooting arrows on horseback. And they like could they would put an arrow between each of their fingers 
so they could just shoot one, shoot the other, shoot the other, shoot the other, so they could shoot four arrows before they had to grab more. And it, he learned how to do that. And it's fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, I can see how that would be learnable. Um, and I guess if, like, if you're... If there's, like, a person, like, shoots one arrow at you, I maybe I can see how you would be able to catch it with some training. But if there's, like, 50 arrows coming at you and you jump in the air and you catch all of them or you manage, like, you somehow you manage to avoid getting shot by, like, 50 arrows, I mean, that seems like a bit of a stretch. That reminds me of the survivor how it like talked about how sometimes he couldn't dodge the arrow he had to just like take it in the right spot that's why he was all deformed because there was that many arrows flying at him that he could dodge most of them but sometimes he had to take superficial wounds to survive i was thinking about the survivor when we read these chapters uh, and specifically when they find Sirwa under all the, uh, the the ruins from the towers you know she gets when she gets she gets uh, struck by one of the the laser beams and then you think she's dead but then they find the one of one of the many one of the many uh, uh, parts of the army they find her and she's like all like burned and her hair is gone and she has like scars and ulcers everywhere. It 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 made me think about the survivor and how he also like kind of sacrifices appearance for the sake of efficiency or survival, I guess. So that line you mentioned, Daniel, is on 321. Um, and so um, Ennis remember Moingus had not the least inkling that he was about to murder his father. So yeah. I had a tap, too. So, uh, hmm. What was he yelling at him about? He did yell at Nair and Nair like ignored him. He uh, okay, so he tells him, uh, "You would burn him alive." He heard himself scream as he approached the man oh. who saved you twenty years ago. Several faces turned to him, but only those nearest. His father, a beacon of brutality even in such brutal company, made no demonstration of hearing. Gonna kill him for his uncle, huh? But he doesn't end up killing anyone, Moengus, I mean. So is that foreshadowing of something that's going to happen? He did stuff like that a couple times in this chapter. It would end like being like when the Corey Bowman like went to tie their Corey to another bolt. They got on one knee and it would be like, and it said the Little did they know they would be the only survivors. So them bending down somehow saved them. Hmm. So it like alludes to that kind of stuff a couple times in these chapters. I think it did it once more too. 
besides just the mowing is killing his father, even though he hasn't yet. Also, which father are we talking about? Ooh, good question. Is is it Moeng? Uh, not Moeng. Is Close. it Nair or is it is it Kellis? <laughs> we'll find out in ninety six pages, I guess. I mean, I'm thinking which one would be worse. I mean, I guess there would be something ironic about a Moengus killing either Kellis or Nayor, considering the connection that they, the two of them had to the other Moengus. Um. What's the what's most ironic end to this story? What would be the most ironic end to the, the second great ordeal? I guess they, we find out that the the holy cons, the unholy consul, are actually the good guys, and they've been the good guys the entire time. It seemed pretty uh, ironic to go through all that the great already went through, and then find out it was for all the wrong reasons. Kind of felt like it. I think it referred. I forget what exactly it said, but it referred to the arc, almost like a plug, or almost like a something holding back something worse. Like it was like a like a stopper that was preventing something else worse from happening. I don't remember it saying that, but that did remind me. Like when it went into the ground, I think it like hit. A hot spot and volcanic, like volcanic lava, came up around it. That's what some of the mountains are, like volcanic mountains, because it went so deep into the earth that like found a lava tube or something. But I don't know what's below it. I think wasn't it Kaliol the deciphering that the he or it mentioned something about I remember I think he mentioned something about a not a plug but like a void below the arc that there being something or nothing beneath it or maybe inside of it it was a little bit confused. I wasn't sure if he was just referring to the fact that there was a ship below, like beneath them, or if there was, he was referring to something that was even like below the actual ship. There was a part where he like looks up and he can see the arc of the world. And then he just thinks he should just keep going up until he hits the void and he can be above and in between worlds. I thought that was cool because if you're in the void you're kind of both above and in between worlds huh i yeah the the chap the 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 parts with the sifrang were kind of confusing uh, but what i got from them is 
that Iokas is dead, I believe. Or at least in hell. No, Orang is dead. I mean, Orang too. And is that who the blind slaver is? Who's the blind slaver? Well, that that's what I that's uh, I thought that that was Iokas, the uh, the grandmaster of the Scarlet Spires. And he can't control Kilikale or whatever his name is because hell is beaming out of where they are, so there's no like human control. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, it's like. Well, I guess I guess what I inferred from it was that they can only control the cipher, the cipher, if they're in our world. But as long as soon as they get back, they are in hell, or they get too close to hell, they lose their control, and that's what happened to Iokas and uh, Kikaliol. That's how I choose to pronounce it. The uh, the Reaper of Heroes. Well, I'm not sure if Ioka was much of a hero, but he did get reaped. I guess. Those were some conf confusing paragraphs. I think there was three of them in these chapters. There was a yeah, lot going on. Just the ciphering are confusing. I remember. I remember back in Thousandfold Thought, it was very bizarre. And like the way that's like everything's kind of like light for them and they don't really understand how matter works. It's all very confusing, which I guess that's the point of it. Our Scott Baker once talked about writing a book where like an alien comes to Earth and he like it's all about an interaction with him and just I think a human or a couple humans and just how alien their thinking is. Which I guess would kind of be Sifrang-ish. It wouldn't feel human. It'd be it seems like a weird concept for a book, but I think Baker could pull it off. Maybe he never did it. I mean, I I'd be very happy to. Doesn't he? Didn't he publish a paper on like alien, on alien philosophy or alien philosophy? Yeah. Hmm. A paper called on alien philosophy. Not, not that I read it, but it sounds like something he's been thinking. Spend a lot of he has spent a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, that's why the Sifring and non-men are different. It was a lot. All the different names, and it was like a big um. This huge battle, like there's like more names and more names and family histories and a lot of a lot of stuff. What did you guys think about the Holy Spear of Sil? Do we know what the Holy Spear of Sil and the Heron Spear are now? It's a laser gun. That's what I said at the very beginning. <laughs> A crazy laser beam. That's right. Yeah. The okay. So the the pulses that they feel. I was a little confused about that too. That was the the head-on spear, right? That was Callus activating it, or was that the 
the Holy Spirit still. The Heron Spear is still. No one knows where it is yet. Maybe. I thought he picked it up. He picked so up the Holy two, Spear of Sill. They're two different spears. I totally misread that. I think Akamian is confused for a bit. Wait, he first he thinks that it's the Heron Spear, and then he realizes that the color of the beam is different. So it has to be some other spear. This spear might be attached to the ship. Maybe. I mean, it did seem like Kellis ripped it out of somewhere. Oh, yeah. You're right. <clears throat> I read the... Okay, so on 332 on the top, they watched their holy aspect emperor take up the spear. I, I saw... Take up the spear, and I assumed it was a heron spear. Does it... I mean, does the difference between the two matter? Is is the Heron Spear strictly for no gods or and is there more of them? Like it, how difficult is it to make one of these spears? Because you'd think if they made like fifty of these, it would probably be fairly easy to like blow the uh, blow the great ordeal out of existence. I don't remember how many were around when the Ark first fell, but it, uh, like the Techni uses technology and like if you put one of us with the AK-47 back in like night times, we would be pretty powerful up till what, till we ran out of bullets, right? And then we would just have piece of metal to hit people with <laughs> still useful but not as effective i admit so who knows how much ammunition they had or what kind of am ammunition it uses power obviously because it's a laser gun hmm. well there certainly was enough power to uh take down one of the horns I think that the spearman shot maybe 11 or 12 pulses, it said. And then Kellis, I don't know how many he shot, but enough to take down the canted horn. Well, I think, yeah, I think Sirwa, Sirwa was felled by the 13th. Yes, actually, I'm just looking at the page. Just, just as the 13th pulse found her. Mm. And she screams, Father, right before she gets shot. Well, he stopped the spearman. He's not fighting the horde anymore. He's fighting other, maybe more important people. And the spearman was a mage, right? Because he had a bunch of cants protecting him I, I think it was an an erratic wasn't it uh, a kuya maybe 
So there might still be a couple more alive. They all didn't go out onto the ramparts and die in unison. You know, I'm kind of surprised that the consult is able to make them do anything. They seem so out of it. Like telling an Amen, go here, sit by the cannon and wait for them to come and then shoot the, shoot the other sorcerers down. That seems like too complicated set of instructions for an Amen to follow. The ink broke them. If anyone can piece them together, it would be them probably. Even though there's only one left, right? R ink? Is it Arang or Rx? I think Arang died. Yeah, I think Arang's gone. So Rx is the last one? I guess so. I don't even know if... Have we seen Rx before? He's been mentioned before. Yeah, I'm I feel sure like we have most, of the, most of the time we encountered Anchorai, it was Orang. I feel like he's 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 the one who's been doing most of the flying around the three seas and organizing his groups of skin spies. How'd you like Melowebby's point of view being the being the POV for that battle for that little fight? <laughs> Just like flopping around on Kellis's hip. <laughs> still, still mad at Licaro. Yeah, he's still blaming him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting choice. Um, I wonder, I guess I wonder if his main purpose is to just give us a perspective on Callus, like to, to have a closer view of like what Kellis is doing of or if there is something else if there's another purpose to Malawebi still being around and if that is his purpose then why not just give us Kellis's point of view so is there a reason we don't get a POV from Kellis No, because then we would have enough. then we then we wouldn't have to have these like one hundred pages, trying to get to the golden room to find out what's what the hell is going on. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know. Like, my guess is that part of it is just to keep the mystery. Like, mm -hmm. part of what makes Kelly so interesting is that he is so mysterious. And as I said, like the main reason I'm reading this book is to find out what's going to happen. Like with Kellis and what his intentions are, and if we're not getting his POV, it's it's really hard to, uh, it's really difficult to um, uncover that. The, um, the other one was I can't pronounce the sword's name, but the Hearth Slayer. That was kind of funny. When he picks up the Hearth Slayer and he's like, he feels. Like I can do anything now, and then he runs into the <laughs> to the keeper of the what was it uh, the keeper of the intrinsic gate, the Raku. Right, yes, 
There was a dragon. That is true. I have nothing to say <laughs> about that. No one's made it into the intrinsic gate yet, right? But they are approaching it. Well, Kells don't need the gate. He just took a shortcut. Uh, I was a little bit confused with the the sky plummeting with the spear after he casts the spear the sky plummets um, and it seems like well at the end of the the chapter he the portal is open so it sounds like he's about to walk through the portal into the golden room mm -hmm. right well, I walk conditioned ground. The sky falling bit was, I think, just like referring to the proportion of the canted horn. Hmm. Since it's so big, it falling, like, moved the earth and made it rumble for 30 heartbeats, it said. It said people in. Babies in Carthusial woke up, or Carithusial woke up screaming. So it was a, a big thing that fell over. And if, I think they said that each horn is two miles tall from the ground. So who knows how deep it is too, but from the ground, it's two miles tall. So something that's two miles tall, like falling over in your periphery is kind of like the sky falling. Oh, okay. I'm expecting a tsunami. Of dust? Just a dust tsunami? Well, I mean, if, if you could feel the reverberations like all the way to Carthusel, there should be a tsunami in my opinion. Yeah. That's usually when earthquakes hit water, but sometimes. It's the earthquakes underwater that cause the big tsunamis. The ones on land reverberate water outwards to, to the ocean. That makes sense. Right. But what if you have a sea that's like almost landlocked by the continent? Like the it'll, three seas. It'll sway like the... I don't know. No I mean, I'm, no, I'm no geologist. I'm, I'm... I, I've watched videos of earthquakes and like what happens to a pool when an earthquake happens and it's pretty crazy. Huh. Definite, the water definitely moves places. But it kind of all stays... I don't know. It's not as tsunami-ish. It moves all directions, kind of. Okay. Well, so basically, just if if you're a sailor, on what's the name of the sea? I forgot. Uh, Eleanor Sea, maybe. Oh, oh, it's a 
me menionor menionor c then good luck to you everyone's dying anyways right steve doesn't matter no doesn't matter um speaking of death before Allrang dies the he does tell Callus that he can show him death and damnation can be conquered. So it's almost like he was begging for his life. So it makes you wonder. What page was that on? Three fifty one. I will say I was quite shocked when Orang died so easily. Cut off his wings. Yeah, it was, it was kind of brutal. I, I, I felt bad for really? Orang. Really? <laughs> A little bit. Wow. Um, I don't but know. It's just... he did, he no. Yeah. No. I, I remember I read this fantasy book a long, long, long time ago, but there where they also there was also an angel and they cut off his wings and they plucked them for the feathers and it was it was just I felt really bad for him and it kinda reminded me of that angel losing his wings. And then he kicks him out of like he kicks him down the, the tower. It's it's pretty brutal. Hmm. You ever wonder how our Scott Baker makes you feel bad for the most evil things in the book? You know, that's another thing that I've been thinking about. For all the talk about how evil the Inquiry are, I don't. We've not really seen them do many bad things we only have the history then i remember the one passage where the guy's thinking he should have killed his wife and his kid instead of letting them get him right before he rapes him and kills him right like i'm not denying that there is a history <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying like just like we, yes like there is this history like we have heard all those terrible like atrocities that the Inkara have committed but we not actually witnessed them do them, or we've not witnessed them doing them to characters that we care about. So that's okay then. They are kind of super powerful, but frail in the same way that the non-men are frail, kind of like. Time didn't build the Inkarai up. There's not like, they're not reproducing. It's only age and time and waiting. I think it, it, it went to their eyes and it, it said, millennia become centuries, centuries become years, years become moments. <laughs> and the re resumption is upon us whatever that is. So they're broken in similar ways to the non-men. 
and not as tough as he thought, apparently, right? No. Um, no, no, definitely not. But all this talk about resumption, mm-hmm. it kind of makes me feel or it makes it seem like things are actually going according to their plan, the Inkarai's plan. So I maybe maybe this has all been planned before. I don't know if it. I mean, I I, mean, I don't know if it's some kind of a trap. Maybe Oring's sacrifice has all been part of this. I. This is like just pure speculation. I have actually no idea. Um, but the little the little bit we got from Orang's point of view, I didn't get the sense that things were falling apart for them. Hmm. Or that they were... It didn't feel like he, he was desperate. It, the sense I got from it was that somehow they've anticipated all of this and that there is some kind of a plan that seems to be going um, well for them. Maybe it's happened before? This is like the Matrix. <laughs> it is, yeah. So, so... <laughs> Is is Kellis meeting the architect in the golden room? Is is that what's happening? Oh shit. Maybe. Meeting the synthes? Like in the matrix in the second matrix, the architect. Oh yeah, I forgot. Wait, is he also called the architect? Yeah. yeah. The the synthes is the architect, yeah. Oh, I I totally that was I was I was referring to the architect from the matrix. I completely forgot forgot about the fact that the, the synthes was also called the architect. Oh yeah. Uh, but the synthes was Aurang, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't remember. Well, uh, it was one of them, okay. It's, I guess. I don't know if the different... I don't know if it's important for us to actually be able to differentiate between the two of them. No. Maybe not. There was like an allusion to one of the atrocity tales, one of the short stories. Hmm. When the non-men's talking about how dumb humans are. And he says something that I can't, (laughs) I can't say. There's just so much left open. Like, what about crab hands? What about little Kelomus? What about Espinet, Mamira, Kamian? Purias is dead. Moingus, Nar, Nair. I was pronounce pronounce his name. There's just like so many things left in, for 96 pages. This is true. But we're not in Golgotharoth anymore. The next chapter, I think, is the Inco Helenas, it's called. 
Mm, I think, I think it's the gold. No, it's the upright horn. Sorry. Oh, the That's upright the horn. Next chapter. Well, well, we'll, we'll see if it wraps up in this last hundred pages. This hundred pages obviously didn't wrap very much up for you guys. Proyas. No, it, it. No, well, no. It, if anything, it revived Proyas for the third time. Well, I was reading that. I thought a lot about like that House of the Dragon series, all the like complications with birthing, like in the olden <laughs> days. And how much trouble Mamaro was having. So that has to have some kind of correlation with the arc, right? Is it, I, okay, and a lot of the prayers, again, are very close to, like, prayer we have now, just reworded. So I'm wondering, I don't know, if she does have twins, is it like an Adam and Eve kind of thing, somehow? Do you guys remember t twins before this ever? Well, Kalmomas and Sammy? <laughs> what about before that? What about in antiquity? Mm. Wasn't... There... Was there an S. Rimber that but I think his twin Momus. died. Was it Kalmomus? Uh, it does sound and, oddly and familiar. His, and his twin died, and Sammy was like kind of dead at birth. It does sound Was it in the novels or was it in the appendix? It sounds familiar. I think it's Akamians alluded to it a couple times, and maybe other people have when they're like thinking through history or in dreams. Was it a dream that my 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 mirror made an appearance? It was a dream, right? Or was it a in the past that she was present? I think it was in the judging eye. Yeah, she there was a vision or a dream that she was there with Kilomomus. I do kind of remember a dream. I don't remember if it was with Kelmomis. If she was there in the past. Isn't isn't there also a prophecy that whoever has the judging eye, their children are going to be stillborn? Hmm. But she's having twins, right? I don't even know anymore. They keep they keep like changing their mind about it. <laughs> it's like one like one one time she's like she's like hush little one, and the other times like she could feel the two heartbeats. I it's confusing as hell. Um, wasn't there? A reference to someone with two hearts, or am I thinking about something else? Oh, uh, one of the races of people have two hearts. That I think it's like an offshoot of the Thunyeri. Yeah, I forget what the what 
who it was, but I'm not imagining that, right? There's it's a no. quick reference so that it, he had two hearts. It talked about it in the first series too, like really mm -hmm. briefly. They are still like descended from humans, but they have two hearts. And in this, in these chapters, they were the ones that went to the front of the line and like actually started fighting the Bashrag. And the leader of them is the one that fought like the named Bashrag and cut his shoulder or cut cut one of his arms off or something. There's so much, so much, so many battles. Um, I just feel fatigued, I guess. <laughs> that's that's the main emotion I'm feeling right now. It's it's a lot. I like the way it talked about how it was all confusion and then like after a while it separated and broke down into pitched battles so from a, an above view it looks like just a bunch of ants scurrying and then like all, they all find their piece of bread to be attracted to kind of it did that once when they were all killing and eating the scalded it like it talked about how they were like flowers and they all like ran in to the scalded so they were like the petals and then it all broke up just the way it describes it from a top-down view is cool cool to think about it also makes me think back to the the prologue of the judging eye when it's kalamomas playing with the beetle mm tearing his legs um i don't know if there's any connection between between that between like those those uh images but there is a lot of like a lot of comparing people to bugs and beetles and but also to food and grain and fruits lots of fruit So the 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 chapter what is it chapter 16 it ends with Kellis telling Malawebi not to fear the the inquiry not to fear the golden room because he and I quote he is the greater mystery and and he walks the conditioned ground So my question is who's conditioned the ground here because from what i get it from previous conversations between Kalas and proyez he's Kalas seemed to suggest that he doesn't know what's going to happen in the next few hours and that the he only sees darkness so if this ground is conditioned who's done the conditioning or he only sees his one path. If you think of it like the probability trance, like the base of a tree, and the further down the probabilities trance you get, the thinner the branches are, like the top of the tree. There's only one path to go, and all the other paths are darkness. Does that make sense at all, sort of? So maybe he knows his one path. 
so he is still walking on his conditioned ground, but he can't veer off of it because it's all darkness now. Kind of like so it's the predetermined, the, basically. The white, the white luck warrior always knowing what he was going to do, right? Always seeing the back of his own head, walking the narrowest path. Maybe Kellis's path is similar. So it's all led to this point. Yeah, that's that's why he said he gathered all the hosts of men and he knew that the capital was going to crumble and he didn't care. I don't think he imagined Esamnet doing as terribly as she did. But. <laughs> I have a really stupid question. There's no stupid questions. This might be one. If Kellis can kind of like blink in and out of resistance... Why he? Why didn't he just blink into existence, like right in front of the golden room? Because the non-man was there with the cannon. Couldn't he just blink past them? I think also he needs Arang to open the door. Like he cannot. Ex he, I don't think he can access the golden room himself. I think there's probably too many wards. There's a like a passcode for Oli. That Blinking only... in and out of existence requires you see your destination. If there's a, a gate blocking you, you don't know what's behind it. Just like how it talks about the mages walking on like ghost ground, echo ground, and then they lose their footing. Maybe jumping through space is similar. I think it even talked about like Saraway kind of worrying about that, saying that it's not it's not as easy to as you th just jumping from one place to the next. There's there's stuff that can go wrong while you do it. And Kellis, if he wouldn't have single-handedly killed so much of the horde his army would probably be dead by now. All of them be dead. Because then the horde yeah. would have came from two directions, or maybe three directions. I think it might have been three. I think there was like three hordes that came charging in. And two of them went towards him because he was the closest enemy. And they all turned to, well, they turned to dust, right? A lot of them did. All that meat wasted. There'd be blood to slurp up from the ground. <laughs> cooked, too. Seems like it's going to be all cooked already. Instant barbecue shrink. Yeah. <laughs> cooked in, uh, they call it the genocidal abstractions. Um. But Kellis did kill a whole bunch of, a whole horde and the spearmen. And a non-men, didn't he? Didn't he kill a non-men too? And a Sifrank? He's already done a lot. I think Kellis has already done a lot for the little bit of pages allotted to him so far. Yeah, he has. It's um, 
it's a little weird that he's he's such a major he's the character in this in these books and he's not the main focus we don't spend that much time with him really throughout the whole series not at all is the longest we've spent with him in the prologue of the first book i think that might be the longest maybe that we've spent continuously with him it definitely is it was 50 pages of just skellis Now but we're lucky if we get like fun. four pages of just yeah. Kellis. Yeah. If I like I understand the choice, but at the same time, Kellis is probably the most interesting thing about the series. But is he the most interesting because we don't have a lot of him? And because we hear about what everyone else says or how everyone else perceives him, and that probably adds to our curiosity of what his intentions are and what he's really up to or would knowing everything make it more enjoyable your your sore wheelishness (laughs) exactly (laughs) no you're probably right um but oh but i will like to me the most some of the most interesting parts of these books are the scenes where Kellis is having conversations with other characters. Mm-hmm. And they're usually very short. But very, very uh, mind boggling and very intriguing. Mm-hmm. We have some fun conversations left. At least one more. <laughs> Do you have anything else to uh, say about Kellis or the battle? No, I think that's all I had. Um, there, For all the battle, there were some pretty major developments, I think, in these chapters. Like, there, But they didn't, they were just mentions of things. It didn't, like, it didn't go on for pages and pages like the, the Judging Eye and Espinet or um Proyas coming back from the dead again and then dying Arag dying feels pretty quick so a lot of these major events have very little page time it's pretty quick Sarah the battle went on for gone. a long time Servo gone quick. yeah right yeah I, I showing up again yeah yeah I would just have like a couple of small maybe less relevant things but that I thought was were interesting um what did you think about Sirwa the witch coming back to basically save Akami and Esmanet? Did you think do you think that that was part of the strategy or is that a decision she made on her own? I thought it was strategy, but I might be wrong. Because doesn't she say something like she has to save them or not like she wants to? Or did I miss? I might have just imagined that. But, <laughs> but I remember it being like that they have to be saved kind of thing. Mm, I, I don't know. I, I, it just, I'm looking at it, but it just, she just says run. 
And then she starts eviscerating the uh, the strength around them. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I don't really know, but it's... Unless there is a reason why... Like a practical reason why Kellis needs Esmanet and Dakami and Maimar to be alive when all this is over. I don't see what would be the point of sending Sirwa away from the Great Ordeal to the plains to save these three people, which objectively can do very little. At least, for, I mean, there's all this like mystery with the god and you know, speaking to Mimara, but I mean, people don't know about this. So like objectively looking at these three, they're like the most pathetic people in the Great Ordeal who can't really do anything. Hey, leave a Camion out of it. He fought a dragon, killed Nil Nilgicus. He's... Okay, fine. But like, he's just one wizard against like a he's horde of thousands and thousands of Strang and Basrag and what other... Non-men. Right. So why why go back and, and, and save them, help them escape? So it made me think that maybe that was her spontaneous decision. But maybe it wasn't. There is a point where she's confused, like she doesn't know what to do for a second. Well, she even wants, she, I think she even looks for Kellis for a minute there, right? Like looks to, for him to, for like guidance. Guidance. Yeah, there's a couple of moments when she calls out to him and he doesn't really reply, I think, or doesn't really do anything. He's fighting a horde. She needs to figure her own stuff out. He's kind of busy. <laughs> now I'm just imagining, like, the next time I call my dad, like, Dad, I need help. Like, I'm sorry, I'm busy fighting a horde of strength. <laughs> you can figure it out, yeah. Work. You call him. He's like, I'm working. I'll call you later. <laughs> Hangs up. That's his version of shrink. Yeah, and then I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about was um, the conversation between Proyas and Neor hmm. because Neor says a couple of interesting and mysterious things that I don't know if I was supposed to understand or I wasn't supposed to understand and there will be they will become clear clearer later. Um, one of the things he says, well, there's like they talk about Nayor's alleged death when everyone thinks he's dead, and 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 Proyas reveals to to him that he actually like had a conversation about him with Kalis, and Kalis told him that Nayor was dead. And that when Proyas asked him how he died, Kellis told him he died with glory. And I wasn't sure what... I, I, I guess I was curious like what the intention behind it was. To tell Proyas that, first of all, that Neor was dead. And that also 
he died a good death. If... I kind of took kind of took that as like he wants he wanted it to seem like it was a um, he didn't want him to know what really happened. Um, so he, he just kind of yeah he did he died of the glory and kind of just like I don't want to like didn't want to get into the detail of what else happened and just kind of um, hide what really what really happened. I don't know. Daniel, can you say? That makes sense. But also, he's not dead yet. Well, no. Yeah. He he, could, he's not. There could still be time for a glorious death. He is dead, right? Judging by what Moe, the passage Moingus says that he didn't know he was going to kill his father. I mean, he's not dead yet, but in in writing, he's dead. I mean, it's still, it's still all very speculative. It never said Proyas was dead. It said that Nair was dead. <laughs> um. Okay, fine. I, I was trying to think back to like the thousands of thousandfold thought and to where Proyas and Nayor parted ways, and I honestly don't remember what the relationship between the two of them was. At the time. I think they were still sort of friends, but by the time by that time Proyas had already become um, a believer king. Uh, like a follower of of Calisus and Neor was going increasingly more insane but I guess they still kind of loved or respect each other in some ways um, anyway um, then there is and I'm, I'm finishing this is the last thing um <laughs> Then the, the 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 conversation continues, and and Neor talks about sort of like how um, Kellis has been like the driving force that like his, his vengeance is against Kellis has been what's been driving all this time, and then like how he's aware of it has sort of taken ownership ownership of of that. Um, but then Proes tells him that Kellis told him that. Nayor was going to come, which hmm. I don't remember him telling Proyas, but okay. Um, <laughs> and then then Nayor says that Kellis is no god, and Proyas asks, so what is he? And Nayor says, the same as me. And that's also, that, that's, that's also like very ambiguous i don't what in what way are neor and kellis similar or in in what like what does he mean when he says kellis is the same as him what does neor mean by that i wasn't human? sure maybe sorry like human is that what it like mortal or he's just a man he's not he's 
he's no big deal. Nair thinks that he's a big deal, though. I mean, himself. Nair thinks that yeah. Nair is a big deal. So if Nair thinks Nair is a big deal and Kellis is like Nair, then Kellis is also a big deal. Maybe they're maybe maybe they're both prophets of the god. There's a god of war. He seems pretty war godlike. I don't know. Drowning in his own murders. His his murder of Sarway was fun. I liked it. Should he keep keep it around for a long time just to kill it like that? Didn't he? Just the fact that she. Thought she was manipulating him the whole time, and then he reveals the reason why he was really beating her because just she was so gross to him. I mean, but what did did he really though? It seemed like I don't know. It seemed like maybe just a bit of an excuse. It was I don't know. It, it was like. I don't know. The whole thing was kind of bizarre. Like, it was like, haha, you think you deceived me, and the whole time I've been deceiving you. But maybe, isn't he just maybe just deceiving himself, really? Playing the long game for sure. Proteus kind of alludes to that. Like, says that Nair thinks that he's like beyond the reach of Kellis because of his spite when his spite is like his driving factor and can be manipulated too. Like Nair's string is really easy to see. He's just spiteful and vengeful. You can point that the right direction. He's a tool just like everything else. Yeah, I mean that that's yeah that, that's kind of what I mean, right? Like was he really? Was he only beating Sir Surway the skin spy because he was repulsed by it? And why did he spend the last twenty years having sex with it? You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a really big sacrifice to me. <laughs> I mean, we just or, we just concluded he's kind of crazy, right? He's at least been crazy for twenty years now, a little bit crazy. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I guess in some way he could also be just punishing himself. But that's it's all it's very convoluted. I'm yeah, I know, I know I said this was that was the last thing, but I actually just <laughs> there was one more thing, um with respect to Neor is when he when he strangles Surway. Moangus is watching him and he see there's smoke coming out of his swazan. Hmm. And that was very that was very strange. Hmm. I catch right. that. It's uh it's on page three hundred and twenty two. like the arm that he's using to strangle uh surway there's as he's doing it there's like he glimpses smoke wafting wafting from the ligature of 
Swazon that encases trembling arms. I don't think we've seen that before. It's doesn't this doesn't sound natural. Human. It doesn't sound human. And if Kellos is like Nair and Nair isn't human, then what does that mean? I don't know, but it's like, I, again, I feel like I have more questions <laughs> when I finished these chapters, when, when I started them. What was the dream with Gilgal? Do you remember that? And he, the god of war opened his hands and it was like Kellis inside of his hands. Do you remember that dream? Right. Yes. Uh... That, yeah, that's when he was dreaming that he was Kelmomus. Hmm. <laughs> I, I feel like you're trying to tell me that there's a connection I should make between the two. But... No, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I'm not... I don't see it. Not yet. Well, we only got another 100 pages. We will be getting there. 90-something pages. 96. There is... I, I think there's no way this is all getting wrapped up in this book. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I don't know. That's a lot. I, I kind of think there's, there has to be stuff left open. There has there has to be unless everyone dies then it's, it's all taken care of. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, even if everyone uh, is dead, that I still have a lot of questions unanswered. Well, you've done pretty well. You you predicted the nuke, the earthquake. <laughs> the I laser mean, gun. the the laser guns and the earthquakes. I'm quite proud of. I think the nuke is. You should take credit for that, Steve. I think. No, you said everyone's going to get nuked. Well, you you were the one who you were the one who said that everyone was going to die. Well, we don't know yet. We'll find out next week. If there's a bigger nuke, a a nuke the size of a tusk, or I mean a upright horn, we'll find out. Two mile well, high upright horn. There's still lots of things that could happen. It's funny because you guys could just guess for weeks and and then we're going to read the next hundred pages and it's not going to go any of those ways. Uh, one of the one of our friends who's been watching and listening along um zach uh, mangus thank you zach for commenting and watching but he mentions uh, and this is spoiler free but i've just finished the unholy consult it'll be interesting to hear what you page viewers think about the whole series once you're done i will once again recommend looking through the encyclopedic glossary for the longer entries there are some inter interesting crumbs at the end of the prince of nothing series that they only get juicier after the aspect emperor 
So that kind of told me like we're going to have some things left open or at least vague, I'm guessing, for future books. I'm kind of expecting things to not be all wrapped up. I think I asked you guys this once, like how wrapped up the first series was to you guys when you finished it. The Holy War is over. The Shry's toppled. Kellis finally takes charge. Akamian, like, casts him aside and walks off. But how complete was the series to you guys? Did it feel like a good enough ending? We're all... Of your questions answered for the first trilogy there's a yeah. lot there's a lot like, of to open like when you read the darkness that comes before all of the questions that arose during that book by the end of the first series were most of those questions gone uh no <laughs> maybe half yeah there were there were a lot of things left unanswered. And I also think the ending of Thousandfold Thought actually generated a lot more questions because of like all that we learned from Moangus and um, some of the other characters. But to me, it, it did feel like it does feel like a satisfying ending to the story that is the first trilogy like to the holy war to yes. the holy war story right there's there's not much more left of the holy war story after the first series right but there's a whole other story that comes a metaphysical story that comes up and that's what we've been reading about now. So maybe there'll be an end to this metaphysical story and the opening of another story. Maybe it'll all just end. I'll be really bummed if there's a whole nother, like if it just opens up a whole new series that may not ever be written. I'm pretty bummed. <laughs> well... R. Scott Baker himself kind of said he never it doesn't matter if it goes beyond this point to him to him the end of this is complete enough when he was young this is as far forward as he had seen okay well that's reassuring I'm He's... I'm just happy to get to the ending. And here, here you said at the beginning, uh, I'm not sure I have much to contribute, and here we are two hours later. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have seen it coming. It's every time I feel like there's not much to talk about, we usually end up talking longer than what I think there is a lot to talk about. I think maybe because when we're we're not quite sure on what really happened, we have a lot of discussions over what it could be. So we spend a lot of time speculating and say throwing weird ideas out that who knows. All wrong. Probably. We'll yeah. Move away from the meat of the story to the smoke. 
the elusive bits. Mm. I'd say that's kind of what, what we maybe have done. When the story's progressing, we can just talk about the survivor and grab hands and but then when everything's kind of still and it all is one battle is 90 pages then we have to get into the metaphysics a little bit the weird conversations they have where the sentences don't quite make sense <laughs> 96 more pages to go let's see Anything else you, uh, either of you can think of? No, I, I think I said it all. I think we're like just ready for us to wrap this up. <laughs> so I don't think it's a mystery to say that next week we'll be finishing the book. Um, we may do the, uh, something with the appendix later down the road, but we'll figure that out when we get there. But it's a possibility later after we take a break. So, uh, if you can want to look for any of us, you can find us all on page two and on the forums. Uh, I will have a big mega thread thing when we're done with all the different episodes and podcast links and YouTube links and all that stuff. <laughs> we're done. So, I think that's uh, yeah. So, one more to go. At least, and one I more. guess, I guess after that, I'll go there and I'll share some end of book resources that might be yeah. able to answer some questions yeah I, I, I'd or like add, to do something add like more that. questions well, <laughs> that's more likely yeah yeah we'll get some like a spoiler reference something going with all this stuff references and all the different stuff that the speculation around the new around more books possibly or i've been staying away from all that stuff so get to look into it but cool so uh until next week one more to go and we will talk to everyone then. Yep. See you guys.